Let's drink a toast to the show called Fred. It's a good play. What do you think? I'd say Independent Television T-56. Yeah, quite right. Yeah. Ah, I remember that oh. scene. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, isn't it, um, that's me. They never paid me for that scene, Valentine. <laughs> you tiny fool. That's Sir Lawrence Oliver in one of his bad years. In the unforgettable role of Ernest Chambers. I forgot him. Postman extraordinary, uh, who used to carry the great fan mail to the idiot's post bag. Idiot's post bag. I, I remember that well. I tell you. Well, hello, idiot. Allies. Thank you for your letters. It's been a tonic reading, some of them, and. We've had many a laugh twixt ourselves, eh, you? Ah, oh, many a laugh, sir. Of course we've had many a laugh! I know. And I was reading something the other day about Roy Spear, who was the BBC <coughs> radio producer who, who yes. gave gave Sellers a big break. Yes, yes, yes. He, he said something along the lines of, and I'm going to paraphrase here, um, isn't it a great thing? Isn't radio a great thing? Because otherwise people like Peter Sellers um, would be unemployed because he could, you know, he could never make a living looking like he does as an actor with, you know, with that face. <laughs> uh, this, this, that was in the early fifties. He said that. Yes. Wishful uh, thinking, I think. Yeah. I must just stop because uh, you, you know, you and I've been chatting. I should introduce mm. you formally. Um, okay. I'm talking to, well, actor, musician, comedian, Jeremy Lim. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very, very well. Thank you. Excellent. And um, you're also one third of, of the trap, which uh, is a, what would you call it? Comedy troupe, I suppose. Well, I, I suppose so. There's, there's no, um, there's no dignified way of describing it, really. <laughs> threesome, always... threesome sounds wrong. Yes. So let, let's let's move on hastily. Last week, just last week, I was watching Death of Stalin. Oh yes. And I didn't pick up on it when I was watching it, but it was only in the when I was looking at the credits at the end, and I said, "Oh, Jeremy's in that." I know. And, I, and I went I know, right at, right at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's sort of the cast list is in order of appearance. Yes. So it looks like I'm really important. So I'm quite <laughs> yeah. high up on the at the end, even though my name is Musician One. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, that was, uh, a fun, that was a fun that was a fun gig. I tell you, I bet it was. It's a great film. Fantastic. It is. It's film. amazing and very yeah. timely. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Um, shamefully, I must admit, I haven't actually seen Ghosts, but I believe that you've got had a couple of appearances in Ghosts recently. Yes. Yes. I mean, I. I Specialise in turning up and doing one line in the background, <laughs> not being noticed. Um, that is my that's on my calling card, or it should be anyway. Yeah, so I, I did, a, did a similar thing in Miranda and a couple of other things. So I'm not what you'd call a household face. 
No, but it will draw a veil over uh, the royal bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> Blimey, even I never watched that. So, Jeremy, thanks awfully for agreeing to, right. to come on because uh, I I knew that you had a, an affinity uh, with the goons or with with Milligan yes. at least, and and um. So uh, and, what... se- and Sellers, to be honest, I mean Sellers. I used to be obsessed with Peter Sellers. Okay. When... When the Roger Lewis biography came out, which must be about 25 years ago or something. I presume you've read it. I mean, it's a, it's a huge yeah. book, isn't it? It's a thousand pages long, something like that. Yep. And, and w- once I got to the end of it, I literally started to read it again. I've never <laughs> done that before or since with any book because <laughs> I missed it. As soon as I finished it, I missed it and I had to read it all again. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm, I, I'm going on holiday in a few mm. weeks to Portugal. Um, Show off. If, if the passport gets delivered, by the way. Um, oh, God, Really? Yeah, nice blue, nice blue passport. Nice new blue passport. Um, I'm planning on taking that with, even though I have read it myself. I'm going to take that with me. Probably have to pay for the extra, you know, extra weight. Um, because exactly. it pray is for a, bad weather so you can get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I always say this, but you're similar age to me. Uh, how yeah. did you? How did you discover the goons? How did you get into the goons? Well, I've, I've been thinking about this because I can't quite remember the initial um, impulse, although it was always a part of my background because my parents, my mum particularly, used to be going around going, OBS bottle and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and your mum? That sort of thing. My mum, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I thought she was having a breakdown as usual. <laughs> but um, no, but it turned out it was something called the Goon Show. And they did, every so often, they used to play little bits of it in sort of late 70s, early 80s. And, yes. uh, and then, I, and then I, like a lot of people, I found the LPs in the shops with those alluring covers. So I think either the first one was Napoleon's Piano or um, the Whistling Spy Enigma. Mm. But the one I remember being on the radio particularly is when they so-called rediscovered 1985 in 1985. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a bit older by then so, and I was definitely aware of it, but that was the first time it became a sort of, I became really switched onto it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And had you, I'm sure you'd been aw- been aware of Sellers and Milligan perhaps before you actually heard the Goon Show. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's it's weird actually because I've got um because I grew up in, in fact my first memories of is of East Finchley as in Blue Bottle territory. Yeah. And and um, uh, re- in fact reading the Sellers biography, there's one point where where he has his first heart attack, he goes to see his local doctor, who says nothing to worry about, he's having a heart attack, and that was my first doctor. <laughs> He's got oh my Dr. god Studley. wow exactly and not only that is he sounds just from the way he talks it sounds exactly like i remember my first doctor being and that's a very british matter of fact yes worry about having a half sack fair enough you know <laughs> just off you go plenty of sweets and ice creams that sort of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and also i because then i moved to muswell hill which is all the same sort of area and um early on in seller's life he lived in a little house in highgate and there's now a plaque there. I don't know if you know where I'm talking about. It's near Highgate Station. There's a very small little cottage where I think he lived with his mum. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Probably his dad. And I was there at the unveiling of the plaque, which must have been early 90s, I think, because Michael Sellers was there and uh, yeah, and Graham Stark and Bernard Cribbins and people like that were all, all there unveiling it. It was very, very exciting. So it just felt like he was a sort of, not quite a local celebrity, but you know what I mean. Sure. Um, so you're in Muswell Hill. You didn't. You didn't have the same dentist as Ray Davis, did you? <laughs> well, look at my teeth. You might think I did, but, uh, <laughs> but not not as far as I know. <laughs> mm. uh, today we're going to be talking um, 
mainly about a show called Fred because there's precious little footage left of any of the Fred shows. And um, yes. um, but what I wanted to do first of all was just to give a little because 1956 was a was a huge year. Yeah. For, for the goons, for Sellers and Milligan, for the goons. Okay, because yes. because there was a hell of a lot happening. Boy, yeah. All right. Um, I mean, if you look, no, I've got it written down here. I've got a list here of, uh, and this is not exhaustive either. This is just what I could gather together in terms of what the goons as a group and as individuals were doing in 1956. And I'll just quickly run through this. So, and, you know, for a start, um, Seacombe and Sellers certainly would have been uh, touring, doing a lot of variety, yeah. doing a lot yeah, of stage yeah. work. Okay. Um, we, we had the end of series six and the beginning of series seven of the goon show in 1956. Yeah. Uh, the case of the Muckinese battle horn was released in January 56. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the Ying Tong song <laughs> as a single came out in September 56. It was, the B side to um, Blood Knox Rock and Roll Call. Oh, of course, yeah. Rock, rock, rock in a military way. <laughs> yes. That was the first British record with the word rock in the title, by the way. <laughs> oh, God, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, it got to number three in the charts. That's, in not, the hit parade. that's not bad. They also released, when was it? In June. Uh, appropriately enough, in June, they released I'm Walking Backwards for Christmas with the Blue Bottle Blues on the B-side. Yeah. Uh, M- <laughs> Milligan released, because it wasn't an official, it wasn't really a goon record, but he released You Gotta Go Owl in December Oh, yes, 56. yeah, of course. You Gotta Go Owl. Uh, and he was uh, aided on that by the Alberts, actually, um, of whom more oh, later. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and, yeah, and we had these three, <laughs> these th- we had these three separate television shows, which were more or less amazing, the same show. It? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we had the Idiot Weekly Price Tuppence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was February to April. And then we had a show called Fred, which was um, five shows spread across May. Yeah. Uh, and then there was Son of Fred, which was eight shows September through to November. Uh, yes. You also just just to sort of finish this off. We had Sellers started doing the PG Tips adverts <laughs> in '56. Oh, did it? Oh, okay, brilliant. Yeah, um, he was doing. He did two ITV Television Playhouse episodes. Oh, both really? Lo- both lost. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, Harry Seacombe was in two episodes of Saturday Spectacular and four episodes of Val Parnell's Sunday Night at the London Palladium. <laughs> Spike <laughs> Sp- Spike was in a TV movie called A Christmas Cracker and a and a televised pantomime. Spike and Peter appeared in a show or a program called Off the Record in December '56. Um, and Sellers was on the radio in a, a, a show called Curiouser and Curiouser with Kenneth Haig, who I'll come back to very shortly. Uh, and there was also a, a, one series of a radio show called Finkel's Cafe. Right. Uh, written by Muir and Norden and starring, mm. starring Peter Sellers and co-starring Sid James and Kenneth Connor. Oh, uh, and doesn't exist anymore. One one series. But yeah, I mean, they, they never stop working. No, it's, inc- it's incredible when you, when you say it all like that. And, and quite apart from just, I mean, doing, just doing the goons would be enough for anyone, to be honest. 
so today we're going to be focusing on a show called Fred specifically, yes. um, which was May 56. And I just, again, just to put this in context, in May 56, Granada Television began broadcasting. Okay. Right. Um, which brought ITV <laughs> to the north of England. Yes. Um, Sterling Moss won the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, the first Eurovision Song Contest is held. And significantly, in terms of British what would you call it, popular culture or British culture, yeah. um, Look Back in Anger premieres. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, starring Kenneth Haig, who was um, in the radio show Curiouser and Curiouser with Peter Sellers this year. Uh, Kenneth Haig, do you know, d- does that name ring a bell as an actor? Do you recognise that name? Well, it does, but I, I couldn't, it's, I mean, uh, Kenneth is a name which used to be incredibly popular, like Bernard, and which has sadly fallen by the wayside. So Kenneth Haig could be, you know, could be one of these household names that has, you know, fallen, as I say, at the first hurdle. But it does ring a bell, but you might have to remind me. To people like us, he'd, he'd probably be best known now as he he appears in A Hard Day's Night. Oh, does he? As, what is he? Is he a mag- magazine editor and George Harrison oh, it's, it's stumbles when they're all in. clustering around George and George's going, I think it's really grotty. Yes, that's like, the one. Know. That's the one. Yeah. And and Kenneth Haig wonders if he could be a clue to the new direction. Yeah, yes, like I know that. what you mean. That's, oh, that's I'll have to look that up again. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, yeah, so that's where we are, May 56. Uh, show called Fred. Now, in 52, the BBC were going to be broadcasting a pilot goons television show called trial gallop. Yes. Well, I say goons. It was only sellers and Benting. Uh, right. So it was half yeah. of the goons, um, the goons yeah. but it was canceled because of the death of George the sixth on the day it was due to have been transmitted. Um, and they, yeah. re- they repurposed the script, I believe uh, later that year to, to, for a show called goon reel. Right. This is news to me. Um, which was Spike, Benteen, and Sellers, and I, and Harry, I think, was pre-recorded. Um, <laughs> right. And you had Andrew Timothy, who was the Goons' first announcer, Graham Stark, of course, who, who was never far away with Peter Sellers no. was. <laughs> he, he knew where the money was. Yeah. Um, and it was the only, only television program to feature all four original Goons. Okay. Right. Um, and then you get Idiot Weekly. Yes. And Idiot Weekly comes about because, well, do you know the the sort of the genesis of Idiot Weekly? Um, uh, not specifically. I know it was set up as a it was, was it, because there's something that carries on into a show called Fred Idiot Postbag. Is that right? Something like that. But I don't know how it came about in the first place. Well, this is the weird thing, and it's, it's pure chance, really. And you could argue that if if this hadn't happened, then several people's careers could have been so much different. Okay. You've got um, Richard Lester. Right. Who's who's this American. He's 24 years old. He's a, he's a psychology graduate and he's written a musical. I'm not quite sure why, but he decides to come to London to try and find a backer for this musical. Yeah. He's, he's done a little bit of television directing back in the States. And as a result, he gets a job with associated rediffusion. And yes. at Christmas 55, he's actually, I'm not, again, I'm not, if he's a television director, I'm not sure why, but he was actually offered 
a, a part or he was offered a show in which he would be the he would be front and center and it was like an ad-libbed comedy show and he was actually doing comedy on live television he was going to be performing as well as as directing yeah i'm not, not quite sure why what the reasons were behind it but he was given this opportunity to appear on live television and the next day he gets this phone call from sellers who he's never spoken to before and sellers had watched the show the night yeah. before and he oh yes he either says something along the lines of it was either the the best thing I've ever seen or the worst thing, thing I've, I've seen. ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this. I remember this story now. Um, You've got something sort of thing. Yeah, that's it. And and he agree, and he asks if he's, he basically says, come out for lunch. So the two men meet. And then Sellers, as Sellers was wont to do, becomes ex- incredibly excited about, you know, let's let's put on a show. Let's let's try and transfer the goons to television. And he, and he introduces um Lester to Spike and Spike is initially quite hostile, not hostile to, to Lester, but hostile about the whole idea of putting the goons on TV. He, he, he says, there's no point. It won't work. Essentially, you know, dismisses the whole idea of a TV series centered around the goons. And I mean, they couldn't use the goons anyway as a, they couldn't call themselves the goons um, because they went to associated rediffusion who said, yes, you know, you can have a series, but yeah. the Goons show and the name The Goons was obviously a BBC product or BBC brand or BBC property. So they came up with uh, the Idiot Weekly Price Tuppence in which uh, Sellers was this editor of like this um, tatty old Victorian newspaper. Yes. Uh, uh, but the, anyway, the, the first show goes out live and the next day Milligan phones up and says... He demanded to be involved, <laughs> so he'd watched it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't. I, I'd forgotten that. If I ever knew that, I'd, it passed me by. Yeah. Brilliant. And 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 Lester says he completely took over. Um, yes, this and, is probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the, the, no recordings exist of Idiot Weekly. No. I, I, but I think we can just assume that more or less it was it was the same sort of sketches and. Yes, um, anarchy as as was to follow in show called Fred and Son of Fred. Yes, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. There's one and a half episodes on YouTube of yeah air quotes a show called Fred. There's a there's some really nasty cuts in the sense that at one point in the full episode that we've both watched, they talk about a sketch about it coming up about a POW camp, and then it goes straight into the Count of Monte Carlo. Yes, which is John Antrobus, is that right? John Antrobus, yes. Uh, I think it's it's going quite well so far, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) These cardboard bars are made of steel. Oh, no. We need a saw. A saw? And just by chance, somebody has left a saw on a nearby rock. (gasps) Brilliant. Brilliant. I wrote this. It's going rather well, don't you think? Everyone to his own opinion. Yeah, uh, John Antrobus was, um, he was only 22. (laughs) He looks it as well. Yeah. he's, He's very engaging. It's quite a weird one. John Edrips, he was in the army. He volunteered to join the army when he was, you know, left school or whatever. And, mm. and then he and then he left the army because um, he wanted to be a, a comedy writer. And yeah. he just pitched up, by all accounts, I'm sure there's more to it than this, but he pitched up at 
Associated London Scripts, which was the, you know, uh, yes, yeah, the, the writer's the, collective. Mill- Milligan Sykes and all that. Yeah. And um, Matt Spike and um, they took they basically, he had a couple of sample scripts. They took them on and then he and Milligan wrote a couple of goon shows together for series, yeah. series eight. Um, yes. And, um, and then he went on, in the, you know, in the sixties, he co-wrote, um, the bed sitting room with Milligan. Yes, which is great. Yes, it is. One of the things I love about bed sitting room is that Seacom is a really horrible character in it, and he, but he, do, he does it brilliantly as well. He's, there's, I think there's more range to Seacom than people give him credit for often. Oh, absolutely. In that film, he at one point he shouts, Get out, you slut! Which, exactly, is, yeah. which is not what you expect from Cuddly Uncle Harry, is it? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't, wasn't doing that on highway, was he? No. <laughs> um, they're going to the first commercial break uh, yes <laughs> it's it's a fantastic film and uh, again richard lester yes of course yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so a show called fred again mm. um richard lester directed it's um broadcast 2nd of may to the 30th of may 56 live from associated rediffusion wembley studios out of studio four just right. for the for the completists out there, uh, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, when Rediffusion was, would you say, replaced by Thames in the late sixties, I guess hmm. most of their recordings and paperwork were just in the skip, pretty much. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the crew was a young Joe McGrath, by the way, who um, yes, who did um, well various things like Great McGonagall amongst them. Um, there's one fourth of um, uh, Casino Royale as well, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, yeah, and, um, and Magic Christian, which I love. Magic Christian, yeah, I, yeah. That's another one. That's another one I really like. Yep. One of the things doing a bit of research about a show called Fred was that hmm. I always thought that commercial television, ITV, you know, associated rediffusion would have well, had money to burn and yeah. lots of money to throw at people. But apparently it was quite difficult at this time to, or to to lure technicians away from the BBC. Right. So they took on a crew from a bankrupted ballet company for a show called Fred. And so, so carpenters, designers, props buyers had worked previously for a, for a ballet company. And so, and so they went in for quite sort of flamboyant, elaborate, I don't know, Rococo yes. sets, um, which appealed to, to Spike and Peter. Yes, it's, it's true. It does look, I mean, it doesn't look cheap, even when it's, you know, making a, a joke of the cheapness. It's sort of, you know, there's been thought um, expended on, on what they're doing with the props and, and what props they need and stuff like that. It, you know, for, again, from the fragments we've got, it, 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 there's, there's definitely a visual... A visual sense. It's not just goons on the telly. It's, there's there's lots of visual gags and visual humour and Absolutely. stuff like that. There's... Again, you haven't got an audience, but you've got... I think this was possibly the first instance of... Because the, the arch proponent of it, it was late 70s was Kenny Everett having... I was just crew... going to say, it's like the, the crew. you can hear the crew laughing, but, yes. but there's no... There's no studio audience, is there? It's, it gives it a weird feel. Well, I mean, like the Ellie Everett shows, it gives it an odd sort of unique feel where it's like you're eavesdropping on a private joke almost. 
It's a bit like Derek and Clive live, if you know what I mean. You, I do. You know, the first, first one. <laughs> yes. It's got a sm small audience, which already seems wrong. <laughs> but it you gives can... it more more of a slightly illicit, dangerous feel to it. And, and, and you get that in the Fred shows because it just feels so unhinged. It's really mainlining Spike. It's, there's no... Maybe if it had been on the BBC, it would have had to have been toned down a bit more. But it literally is like, right, you know, get on with it. Do what you like. We'll see what happens. The thing that always strikes me is that it's so long ago as well. It, it's incredible. It's, it's, what is it? It's 13 years before Python. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a generation in TV terms. And yet they're already doing things that Python would, you know, not claim necessarily, but be heralded for inventing. There's almost almost line by line gags that the python does. We've got coconuts used. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, coconuts used. It's a horse's yeah. hooves. And also, just the whole thing. Valentine Dial is the the announcer at the desk with sort of strange backdrops behind him, and uh, you know, being forced to do weird things like shaving on screen. I mean, that's could could so see John Cleese doing that in his announcer guys in Python. It really yeah, is that sort of thing. That's a very good point, which I never thought of. Yeah, because Valentine Dial has this reputation as a button-up, you could almost say morose yes. character who is quite happy to send himself up. Because one, at one point you see him walking from one studio to another and the camera is following him. And he's I know, wearing... it's incredible, isn't it? It's, it looks like something from the 80s or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like um, on, on the hoof yeah. um, videoing, which you don't expect to see from the 50s. <laughs> no. But he's wearing a, a full dinner suit, but nothing underneath. That's right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's great. He's he's so up for it as well. He's he's got no um, preciousness about what he what they make him do. He's so game for a laugh. The first the full show that we've both seen. Yeah. There's a barbershop sketch, and Dial just walks walks in. He's got he's wearing full he's wearing long johns and a bowler hat. There you are. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, um, by the way, you know a decent tailor, aren't you? Well, as a matter of fact, I happen to know a very good tailor, sir. Why? Why? I should thought it was obvious. My suit's threadbare. <laughs> yeah, but that, and that in itself is a is a is a version of a story that Spike and Peter often used to tell about one one or other of them being naked on the doorstep in the middle of the night going, do you know a good tailor? Yes. It basically is, it is that gag. I mean, it's yes. difficult to tell where, where, you know, which is what is fact and what is fiction and what is dreamt up and what has been retold and, you know, reevaluated. It, it is. Yeah. But I mean, that's the glory of it in a way. I mean, I think one of the things, one of the many things I love about a show called Fred, such as, such as it, as I know now, which isn't mm. much, is the fact that you can just hear in the background all these goon show gags, all this like reference without um, explanation, like every so often going power and things like that, and and the uh, <laughs> which means nothing. I mean, means not much in context, but then they just start saying things like that. It's really that's what strikes me about watching these things. It must be it's pretty hardcore insanity now. So imagine what it was like, you know, whenever it was seventy years ago or whatever. Oh yeah. And they mentioned Photo. Oh yeah, times. Photo, the one, the one, the yeah. That's that's another sort of. That's the thing I love about the games is you do get these sort of recurrent. They're not quite catchphrases, but they're sort of eday fix maybe that Spike had, which crop up all the time in his work. Yes, it's, it's fun fun to follow them through and to see how they crop. Like Spawn is another one, of course. Yes, and Yakabakaka and things like that. Just <laughs> these nonsensical things which 
once you're in on it, you feel like you're part of part of the crowd, if you know what I mean. The thing is that ITV had only been yeah. going for what for less than a year, maybe was it? By the time, oh, no, yeah. by the time, show called Fred is on air. Yeah. And so television advertising is still in its infancy, and it's still it's still a novelty. Right? Yes. And and you, how many times do you have sketches or lines in these shows where they say something along the lines of "good news for housewives"? Yes. And, and there's yes. some there's some product like muck. Muck, <laughs> that's right. It's um, about M-U-C. Yes, uh, which is, uh, what is it, a tree deterrent? Uh, it, it chops down trees? <laughs> something, like, something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's already it's so self-aware before anyone else was at all aware, if you know what I mean, and so meta. Like, um, like having fake titles as well and fake credits, you know, and not just at the end of the episode as well. That is such a... You know, we'd assume that was invented by Python, but again, here it is in the mid-50s. You've got this woman. I'm not quite sure who the woman is. Some people say it's Katie Boyle, but I don't think it is. Um, oh, who, yes. Yes. Or is no, it? Some people do say that. Well, I don't know. Do they do they call her Katie at one point? And she could be Katie Boyle. Is this... Well, there's a lady earlier on in, in the show who's referred to as Katie, who I think is Katie Boyle. Yes. Um, but the woman at the end who's pretending to be Princess Grace of Monaco. Oh, I see. That's someone else, isn't it? That's someone else. And I'm not sure who she yeah. is. And then no. Sell- Sellers comes on, I guess, as, as Prince Rainier. Yes. And the credits roll. <laughs> yeah. And the credits, are, the credits are the cast. And it's Enid Blyton, Sir Cedric Hardwick. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Wang. <laughs> <laughs> Rin Tin Tin, son of Wang. Um <laughs> <laughs> Tom, making me laugh now. This is a, this is a Milligan name. Tom Plunger, <laughs> Gert and Daisy and Jack Warner, and um, and and Sellers had appeared. So Gert and Daisy were um, Elsie and Doris Waters characters, weren't they? And um, yes, Sellers had appeared with Elsie and Doris in uh, I was going to say Petticoat Junction, Petticoat Lane, which was a a radio series from the radio, late forties. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a vo- and he was definitely was just a voice man sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kenneth Connor is great. Yes. What, what do you think of Kenneth Connor in general? Well, I think he's he's almost like he he, he missed his metier in a way. It's like you know how Tim Brooke Taylor always used to say he could have been in Python. Yes. Uh, it, it feels like Kenneth Connor should have been a goon and been in that gang rather than being now. Uh, now we think of him as being a carry-on star. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a different, it's a different, <laughs> it's a different thing, if you know what I mean. Watch it. I mean, thing is about a show called Fred is that it could so easily just be embarrassingly awful, mm. and, and most of what isn't embarrassingly awful is Sellers' insane charisma and and um, ability to invest nothing with with something real and and hence funny. But Kenneth Connor's matching him occasionally. I mean, there's a lot of mugging going on, particularly from Graham Stark. And to be honest, Spike, Valentine Dial, I think is great in a sort of slightly bewildered way. But yeah, I think Kenneth Connor is is is, is an unsung talent in many ways. I, I love Kenneth Connor in certain things. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I find a little bit goes a long way with Kenneth Connor in his well, you're later You're probably career. right. For, uh, if it was a choice between him or Dick Emery, I think I'd go Kenneth Connor though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> 
I mean, Kenneth Connor did appear in a couple of Goon shows. Yes, he um, did as a guest. As did, as, as did Emery, didn't he? As did Emery. Emery's in the in the Muckney's Mac, Battle, isn't he? As well. Yes. Because Seekin yeah. um, was too expensive. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, Kenneth Connor. Have you ever seen Gonks Go Beat? Oh no, that rings a bell, but I can't remember what it is or, um, or indeed what the hell it is. It's on Blu-ray. You can get it on Blu-ray. It's not worth it, but it, you can get it on Blu-ray. Again, coming back to Hard Day's Night, Hard Day's Night kicked off these um, spate of um, music film tie-in exploitation yes. kind of. So you had everyone from um, Dave Clark Five to Spencer Davis Group, um, yes. Herman's Hermits, all releasing films. And Gonks Go Beat was essentially just getting a bunch of, at the time anyway, um, maybe second division groups altogether so um was it the graham bond organization and the yard were the yard boats in it or they were in blow up weren't they but anyway (laughs) um but it was a bunch of of musicians and also charlie from casualty who at the time at the time was a singer with his sister but kenneth connor plays the central comedy character in gonks go Go beat yes (laughs) with frank thornton um, (laughs) fantastic (laughs) Yeah, I, I I need this film now. now yeah, now you're mentioning all the, uh, the cast. I mean, to be honest, this could be the cast of any film from 1962 to 78. <laughs> yes. It's the war to end all wars, a war of music. And drop slap in the middle of the hemisphere is a crutch and quaver square from the upper stratosphere. Starring Kenneth Connor as the way out ambassador searching for a way in. With Terry Scott as the down-to-earth Prime Minister filling the breach with promises. How many times have I told you not to come in here while I'm chatting up a cabinet? Frank Thornton, the artist's agent bridging that gap between heaven and earth. Planet Gunk. What on earth is that? It's, it's the Siberia of outer space. I always think shorthand for me for Kenneth Connor is just someone going, his eyebrows going, yeah, going in that sad angle. Because he was sort of, in a way, he was in the early carry on. I mean, getting way off topic, in the early carry ons, he, he was sort of the almost the romantic hero, wasn't he? He was like the slightly normal wisdom. Yeah, he was, you know, take me seriously, please. <laughs> and sort of slightly lovelorn, um, but it's weird in a way because also he does in the Carry On film in the Carry On oeuvre, they all settle down into their you know their, their grooves, but he is still mixing it up by the end. I mean, because it's in some films he's a bit more <laughs> good show, you know what I mean. In some films he's Mrs. Pudsworthy. You can't you can't pin him down. No, you're right. I'm not sure what that says about him, but. Because Sid had a definite character, and and to be honest, Kenneth Williams starts off being a little bit more. He's quite often sort of nerdy buffin to start with, isn't he? And then after mm. all, he just just becomes matron sneery, you know, yes. snide voice. Oh please, Monte Carlo, please get me out of here before the cardinal performs his most delicate operation. First, we must effect an entrance. One moment, regarding. Look, crack of light underneath the prison wall. Never mind about the old post French chap there, mate. Let's get it up out of way. Oh, come on! Talking about Kenneth Kenneth Connor in yes. Uh, so, in a show called Fred, they do this 
um, as we, we alluded to, the John Antrobus scripted Count of Monte Carlo. Yes. And, um, and, and uh, Kenneth Connor uh, is doing an early uh, tryout of his uh, Monsieur Alphonse accent. <laughs> I noticed that as well, yeah. That, yeah. that struck me because I forgot he ended up in that lower low. His timing is immaculate. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it's right up there with his appearance in um, Blackadder the Third when he's um, Mr. Keenrick, or was it? Oh, Mr. yes, Mr. of course. Ke- the actor. Timing right. is marvellous. It's brilliant, isn't it? Who's the other one in that? It's someone, else, some other great radio survivor, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Hugh Paddock. Hugh Paddock, of course, it is. Yes, yes, mm. brilliant. Like you say, Kenneth Connor is is not an equal of, but he's holding his own alongside Sellers, shall we say? Yeah. Um, of yeah. course, he took over from Sellers as the voices man on Razor Laugh when Sellers left. Did he? Yes. Ah, I didn't know that. And 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 uh, Graham Stark, of course. I don't, I don't mind Graham Stark. Yeah, I don't mind him. I, I'm put off him by tales of his personal life, which you yeah. don't, don't need to go and do now. No, um, no. And I think he was a bit of a chancer. Um, he sort of knew what he was doing. And actually, to, to, be, to be fair to him, yeah, I find him very funny and a shot in the dark. I think that's one of that's the finest great. moments. Yes. Uh, yeah. it's, it's my favourite Clouseau film anyway. Mine too. I think, and weirdly... You should Cluso shouldn't have a sidekick, but it works really well with Hercule. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that is my favourite. In fact, that's my favourite Sellers film of all, actually. No, you can't imagine it. might be my favourite. Possibly Strange Love or Shot in the Dark. But the beginning of A Shot in the Dark, I've, I've talked about this before, not on this, obviously, but the first like five minutes of A Shot in the Dark is as close to perfection of a film you can get, I think, with the music and the mm. camera work and everything. It's, you, know, you know what I mean? The camera moving around the house. Yes, and that Henry Henry Mancini song, and there's something really funny about it, but also sad and very classy. And then you get the the title sequence with the shot in the dark theme tune, which is amazing. Yeah, equal of the Pink Panther theme tune. And then you get the first couple of side gags with Dreyfus on the phone. And you think he's talking to kiss the children for me, and then your wife is on the other line. <laughs> T- tell her I'm working late. So yes, talking to, talking to his mistress or something. Then who did you send? And it's Clouseau they've sent. And then you just cut to Clouseau in the car, and he's, he's just—he's looking incredibly. Narrowing his uh, eyes. Yes. You know, in his world, no one's looking at him, and yeah, yeah, he's trying to look clever. He's trying to look clever for the audience's benefit. It's amazing. And obviously, he goes out the car and falls in the fountain. And of course. It's, it's, it's of course. perfect. It's absolute perfect first five ten minutes, whatever it is. It's so brilliant. There's another oh. actually. There's a. I've just thought there's an Alolo connection with um, Shot in the Dark. Um, Is there now? Hang on. Um, no, you have to tell me. <clears throat> Lincoln, you'll miss her, but um, Madam. Fanny... Oh, Rose Hill, Rose Hill, Rose, Rose Hill. It's Hill. Rose Hill, isn't it? Of course, it is. Yes, I knew that. I did know that. I yeah. it because because we in we in the trap briefly became obsessed with Rose Hill and actively sought her out in all. In all her iterations, not that many. <laughs> Actually, she turns up. She she turns up in a step step turn sound at one point as well. Really, I just think of the flashing knobs. That's all I think exactly. of. Exactly. <laughs> well, and why would you think of anything else? Her, fi- her finest moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's also in a show called Fred. You've got Tony and Douglas or Dougie Gray. Yes. Who, who are brothers, and and they they are what two thirds of the Alberts. 
That's right. I, I love the look of them because they look so beatnicky. And, <laughs> yeah. They look, you know, if there's, they were obviously really trendy at the time. I mean, maybe not as people, but their look is just so, you know, what you imagine mid fifties beatniks to look like. Yes. You know what I mean? Little beards and round glasses and slightly pudding base in your hair. Yes. And, and kind of forerunners of the Bonzos, weren't they? The Alberts. Yes, they really are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, they, yeah, it's this weird bit where they're unwrapping their Sousa phones. Is that right? That's right. Yep. They say something like it's, it's got webbing around it. It's, it's really odd. It's so weird. This I, Every time I watch it, it's sort of, I, I, I love it, but I can't quite take it in. It sort of like glances off the edge of my comprehension and I can't, you can't quite follow the thread. Which and that's one of the things I love about it is that it's not like oh here's this sketch now, that and this is what it's about. It's not even that. It's it's not even. It's, it's, I find it more weird than the Q series because it's Q is more like he, he sort of knows what he's doing in a way, whereas this it just feels like un, untreated. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 it's, it's unpasteurized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the, the the show that we watch, the full show, and whether it's a, a compilation or or not i'm not quite sure actually but i'm, I'm not sure it's <clears> difficult <throat> to get to the bottom of it yeah but the, but the the episode begins with um spike as eccles i guess in a sheet wearing a sheet and they called they called that a goon sheet on set i believe <laughs> <Did they>? yeah <laughs> um it, it, it's you know um, we, we're seeing behind the scenes and he walks on and he's you can hear the crew laughing including by the way I'm convinced yeah. it's David Lodge. Yes, because he's got a, he's got a, in fact I learned this from your very podcast. I he's got a very distinctive loud laugh, hasn't he? In some he of the has. Shows. Yes. I, yeah. I keep I keep thinking it's probably wishful thinking. But I keep thinking that there's that there's Seekham in the background laughing because there's a sort of high pitched cackle every so often, which really reminds me of yeah. You know, but he wouldn't have been there. I mean, there's no no way he'd have been there and not been in it. So it can't be right. But it just maybe it's just the atmosphere of it reminds me of him. Yeah, but yeah. So so Milligan comes on and he's giving directions to Tony and Dougie, um, and they're carrying yes. these sousaphones to a set for a later sketch, and they fall over and there's all sorts of business. And yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. think that's the end of it, but then that 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 pays off later on because you've got the sketch with them where they're talking about. Um, they're going to walk around the world backwards on stilts playing sousaphones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they do it in this really weirdly diffident way. They're delivering their lines, which is, uh, you're absolutely right. It's very bonzo. It's very sort of, yeah. you know, anti-comedy almost or anti-performance because they're not, they're not selling the lines. They're not telegraphing any gags at all. They're just sort of talking in a strange way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so incredible. I imagine they're, you know, um, a certain class they probably grew up in a very nice family in a very nice part of oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and i can imagine their mother and father sitting at home watching it going out and sighing and shaking their heads okay. <laughs> where yes. did we go wrong we gave you a great education and this is what you end up doing <laughs> their mother would say yes <laughs> so yeah i know what you mean that hasn't struck me before but you're right um one thing of course the theme song is the Ying Tong song. Yes, but an alternative take, mm. which if, if they were the Beatles, everyone would be obsessed with, you know, the master <laughs> tapes of this. Yes. <laughs> is it different for every episode? Because I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. Again, I've not, not been assiduous enough to compare, compare them. But just the fact that it's a different, you know, a different version to the, uh, 
to the accepted, you know, the classic. Yes. And, um, yes. It's exciting enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, with someone we haven't mentioned, of course, Patty Lewis. Yes. Uh, she, she, does she do the straight song at one point? Is that her? Or is that yeah, else? it was her. And, and I think it's her that is playing um, Lottie Huss. So we've got Hans and Lottie yes. Huss. And they do this is... weird dive down into the tank at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Uh, so, so you've got um, Spike as Hans and, and I think it's Patty Lewis as Lottie. But Patty Lewis was married to Jerry Lewis, I found out. Really? Oh, mm. wow. For for thirty odd years, blimey! Yeah, and, and she's, I, I, she's she's a saint. <laughs> yes, but but presumably she's one of the few people that has seen um the, the clown who laughed or whatever it's called. Then, oh god, poor poor girl, <laughs> is she is she still around? Um, no, I don't think so. But she's um... so I was just trying to work out if there's anyone still alive from the production of the goons. Um, and I, if there is, I know one, and I've met him. Who's that? Dick Mills, who did the Blood Knock Stomach. Oh, from Radiophonic Workshop. Exactly, exactly, because my dad worked at the Radiophonic Workshop. Yes. And um, and and Dick Mills was and it's still and it's still going and still you know still um, must be fair age now. Well, he must be, yeah. But he, I think I'm fairly certain that he did Blood Knock Stomach. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think you are right because there's a doc- there's a radio documentary in which he features. Yes, oh, there you go. That. Oh, fantastic. And I, can't think, I don't know if there's anyone else. There may be maybe one of the musicians. I can tell you someone that's, that we've watched in a show called Fred who's still alive. John, oh, John right. Antrobus. Is he still going? Brilliant. Yes. I wasn't sure about that. <coughs> I'm pleased. Yeah, so he's still going. He's probably not, I was going to say he's probably not that old, but he's really probably, he probably is that old now. He's in his 80s, maybe. Well, he was, what was he, 22 in 1956, so that makes him... Oh god. Yeah, he's approaching 90. Mm. He's late mm. 80s then. Yeah. Blimey. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a Venn diagram of listeners to this and Doctor Who enthusiasts. Um, yes. Which is uh, I don't know what it looks like but it's it's, it's sizable. People with taste, that's what it is. <laughs> and I know that people would love to hear about your dad. My dad worked at the Radio Funny Workshop from probably around it was the early 70s. It was around the time I was born. Yeah. Until it till it shut down essentially, which was in the mid nineties, I think. Mm-hmm. So um when I I used to love going to work with him because it was, you know, fun big machines with knobs and stuff. And but it was before video recorders and stuff. And so being able to watch something on a screen just by pressing a button was still a novelty. And you know, pressing fast forward and seeing people moving fast was still funny. <laughs> Things yes. like that. Yeah. But, but also because of Doctor Who, it meant the, the scripts would appear before they, they were on telly. There'd be scripts lying around. So I used to I used to quite often, you know, be tucked into a corner reading the first wow. draft of Horns of Nine One or something. Um, and then he ended up in the early 80s. He w- actually got, when the producer changed, they got rid of Dudley Simpson. He used to do all the music got in all the Radiophonic Workshop boys to do the, the, the music for it. So he ended up writing incidental music for Doctor Who as well. So he did one Tom Baker and quite a few Peter Davisons and um, uh, Colin Baker as well. So, um, so right in the thick of it. And in fact, for, for the, um, I don't know if you know about the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who was 1983. And there was a big event at Longleat. And 
um, my dad got invited to uh, to appear on the you know the radiophonic workshop panel. Yeah. But it being the, it being the BBC, everyone it was all hands to the pump in terms of taking things over over there, and so <laughs> he had to take over the prop K nine. So oh, I got wow. over, I got home from school once, and K nine was just sitting in the hall. <laughs> it, was incredible. <laughs> it was brilliant. Anyway, so that was yeah, that's my. Oh experience. wow. That's fantastic. That's what BBC was like in those days, you see. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, a massive cottage industry. <laughs> what would you have done if you, if you walked in the house and there was a huge Dalek there? <laughs> well, that's, that's a very good question. You'd get probably, in it, wouldn't you? You'd have to get in it. Probably, yeah, probably get in it. I mean, to be <laughs> honest, once once the novelty wore off with K9 being there, we sort of like poured water in his head and watched it come out of his mouth. <laughs> So it's a good job he was only there overnight. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have lasted long. But there you go. <laughs> I was thinking about this as well, because one of the early things, apart from Blood Knock's stomach, one of the early sound effects they did was for the Quatermass in the Pit. Um, yes. Which obviously gets parodied in the Scarlet Capsule, is that what it's called? That's or right. Late, yeah. late Goon Show. And they use the same sound effects. And it being the BBC, it's all fine. It's all part of the same one big... You know, one big production company family that they could use any sound effects, <laughs> it wouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah, and I love that. So, I love that sort yeah. of thing, you know, because it's a BBC program, you can just, you know, it's all sort of, anything's fair game from the Beeb, exactly. So, yes, so which makes me always wonder why I suspect Spike Milligan was always going to have a problem with authority, whoever it may be. And so, the BBC happened to be his bosses for a long time, and so they're, they're the ones who got his. You got the uh, the receiving end of his vitriol, you know. Yeah, I, not exactly. not they necessarily. I mean, I think they gave him a lot of, a lot, you know, they they let him off the le- leash quite a, quite a fair bit. I, I don't think I don't. There's much more he would have done <laughs> at the Beeb. I don't. There's much more he could have done at the BBC, to be honest. No, he 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 always had needed somebody to rail against. Just back from the Caribbean, where they've been deep sea diving, our hands and Lottie has. Hello, Hans and Lottie. Nice to have you back. Good evening. Good evening. Nice to be back in Jolly good. Have you had an exciting time in the Caribbean? Yes. We we had a very exciting time in the Caribbean. Jolly good. I hear you've been uh, diving off uh, plungers deep. So, so. Yes, we we spent uh, several hours diving off the plunger into the deep. That's right, yes. Jolly good. Did you see anything of the spookwind whale that's been uh, causing annoyance to the divers in that area? What is it, man? You can spookwind. Spookwind whale, yes. Uh, no, we never, never make with the spookwind. I see. No power for spookwind. And none of the nut sardines that float around that area. No, no nuts and no sardines. No. Altogether, you've had a pretty exciting time, I gather. Oh yes, we have. Yes. Sellers is throwing us all into into these sketches. He really is. I mean, it's there's something about Sellers that he almost he's, he's brilliant in sketches, but he's almost like too good in a way. He's going past it, beyond the sort of sketch acting of the seventies, and into he's almost like um, um, Steve Coogan or so, or certainly Mel Smith. You know how they would invest these characters in sketches with yes. Sort of, extra life beyond the parameters of the sketch yes and every time sellers acts someone you can feel the, a real person there 
Do you know what I mean? There's such a contrast between the sellers of Down Among the Zed Men. Yes. I don't know if you've you seen that. I have. Is that the one with where they sort of do their acts a little bit? And so yeah. Benteen does his chair yeah. leg thing and Spike's sort of hopping around in army fatigue sort of thing. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough watch. It is. And it was, it was what, 52 that was. And so Sellers, yeah. it's only four years before. And Sellers is a, a bit more timber on him at that point as well. And um, yes, he's quite, he's quite wooden, really. He's quite stiff. And, uh, yeah. and he's, a, and there's such, he's really sort of developed his acting chops in that four year period with performing yes, chops. Yes, he must have done. The, the, the bit that made me laugh the most was the, the Count of Monte Carlo sketch again. When, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. When Sellers first walks in to view wearing sort of period costume, period finery, and he, yeah. he walks on holding this, this sad looking tree branch up to his face and he's, and he's wailing, uh, lost in the woods. Nothing but trees and I am lost in the woods. it's Monte Carlo. On the trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix. The Count of Monte Carlo. What are you doing behind a tree? I'm hiding. Who from? Nobody. They will never find him. So that was brilliant. You do get these pearls every so often in these, in Milligan scripts that he just sort of casts down in the middle of, you know, like um, there's a bit in The Great McGonagall where Sellers, as Queen Victoria says, we will go around discovering all the different tribes of the world and slaughter them. And it's just the, the glee with which he says it. It's funny, but it's also pertinent and, you know, satirical. And, and you get this every so often with Spike. Yeah. So Goon shows that were sold for over, to overseas mm. uh, broadcasters were edited uh, to remove anything topical and also to remove uh, yes. any sort of racially sensitive stuff, stuff like that. I see. And now that I'm listening to you know, because they, they were, most of them were restored um, in recent years, putting back in a lot of the yes. stuff that had been taken out. It's amazing how much wow. satir- satirical oh, stuff, satirical stuff that well, Spike wrote. They, they, they could have just nipped out Max Gallery, of course, but that's... <laughs> oh, Max turns up in this, by the way, doesn't he? To be honest, I've got a lot of time for Max Gallery. I think he gets a bad press. Or conks. Conks. Because I think, <laughs> I find it part of the whole charm of the Goon Shows. You get this sort of like, Slightly anodyne, middle of the road, harmonica solo. It's just part of the whole, you know, and I like to imagine them backstage with the milk and brandy. Yes. Just, uh, I'd miss him if he wasn't there, I think. He's, he's miming. I mean, he's a terrible actor on The Goon Show, but he's, yes. he's, he's a terrible mimer. He's miming badly, isn't he? <laughs> <When he's, laughs> he is. And he's all laughing as he does it as well. <laughs> I love Max Caldera. I love the fact he's so bad as well. Hello, boy. I had eggs for tea. <laughs> Sort of somehow even does that woodenly, even though there's only you know six or seven words in it. <laughs> At last, I'm, my conks is getting the breaks. As you say, Ellington is, is actually capable of joining in and delivering a line and being being funny. Yeah, um... my dad played my dad played bass with Duke, with Ray Ellington. In fact, he used to say, "Oh yeah, I played bass with Ellington." And he left out the fact it was it was Ray rather than Duke. Go on then, but, tell um, me about this. Tell me about this. Well, it was when because my dad's a bass player as well as as Radiophonic Workshop um, royalty. 
So um, I think I think it was when he was still at college, and Raylington's band came around, and their bass player was sick or something. I don't know. Uh, and now, now I come to now I come to recount it. I wonder how much truth there is in it. But he he, he said that he did sit in and play bass with Raylington for a few numbers. So um, there you go. My That's, God, right? I know. Yeah. There's interesting. There's a bit in in. Um, did you notice in a show called Fred where there's a, a fake BBC camera filming them? Yes, you know, it, I saw it's that. Quite, it's, it's quite weird. I mean, that's that requires such knowledge of well, maybe not that much knowledge, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's a joke on the nature of television, which television was still a huge novelty, I'm sure, for most people at that time. So to have jokes about the nature of it is, is very radical for '56. It's during again. It's during the. Um... Mont- Count Monte Carlo sketch. Yes. And they yes. say it's it's Cardinal Ronnie Waldman's Lime Grove Cavaliers. <laughs> That's it, yes. And it's, <laughs> and it's Spike and the rest of them pushing a cameraman. And it's a, like you say, it's a BBC camera. Yes. Um, <laughs> then it doesn't sell as briefly laps into a sort of sort of smarmy BBC host. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. The voice, he, the voice he wheels out on occasion. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's brilliant. Which gives them, uh, gives uh, Connor and Stark a chance to throw a sheet over the BBC camera. And, uh, <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. There's that, there's a, there's the other episode on YouTube, which is the first half of an episode. Yes. Show called Fred. So Valentine Dial delivers a special news item about the building of a new power station. Yes. Um, and it has a very inappropriate back projection of Spike and someone else running while Valentine Dial is delivering <laughs> right, this yeah, news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's built to power, I think it's called the Isle of Scrot or something <laughs> like that. So, so that might as well be if it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, a, a, there's a photo of Battersea Power Station, isn't there? That's it. There's an, a, a filmed sequence which was so reminiscent. The moment I saw it, it was so reminiscent of the running, jumping, and standing still film. Yes, it, it really it's, is. It's like this this pretty field, or it's like a um, yeah. What do you call it? A, it's right in the middle of the countryside, and you've got Spike. A meadow. It looks like a, a meadow. meadow to me. A meadow, <laughs> yes. And you've got Spike dressed in a like dressed a caveman, like, like a caveman. Of. <laughs> and and the, the the sketch is, and this is pure Python, like you say, it's pure Python. So they've got this power station which is providing electricity for the uh, for the residents of this of this island. And so you've got Spike in the middle of this meadow. He's ironing. Um, yeah. Then he's using an electric razor. Then he's turning out an electric light. Yes. And he's, he's watching. Sli- he slightly shaves his his skins as well. It's not just he's <laughs> shaving his clothes. <laughs> So then he watches TV, and yes. then and this is all in the middle of like this wide open space, and then it turns out because Valentine Dahl wearing a pith helmet for reasons <laughs> unknown arrives with a microphone to ask him if he's enjoying the benefits of the new power station, and Spike says yes, but he's the only one on the island. Um, yes, demolished his house to build the station as yes. well. Yes, he did have a house, but they took all the bricks. Um, but it's like I say, it's so it's like what the running, jumping, and standing still film. What three or four years before well, that? I think I remember. Um, I think it's probably quoted in the Roger Lewis book that that Dick Lester said those were the bits he enjoyed, and so that was the bit that that he deliberately was trying to replicate when they made running, jumping, standing still. Yeah, he he said that the show called Fred was broadcast live. And that's why I went into film directing where you can do a second take. So, yeah, so the yeah, film. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. You had more control over it. 
Absolutely. <clears throat> One other thing in the Roger Lewis book about this series, by the way, just while you mentioned Roger mm. Lewis, yeah, he says there's a sketch which no longer exists, I guess, um, where Sellers is playing the leader of a group of marauding Arabs. Um, the others being Sam Costa, of course, Johnny Vivian and the Alberts. And there's a, there's a, there's, they were on location somewhere like they were out. I don't know. He was trying to clamber up a sand ridge and his his foot wouldn't make purchase with the sand. So he kept sliding down and it kept reducing sellers to, fits of giggles and cor- yes. corpsing all the time. And it kept, yeah. it kept kept happening over and over again, so much so that he wet himself. Uh, <laughs> yes, so I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. And again, I think in Roger Lewis's caustic way, he says, he sort of says, this probably was funny, but also is a sign of someone who's obviously heading off the rails or, you know, not, not quite as professional as you, yeah. you might want him to be. Um, in fact, they, again, speaking of the Roger Lewis book, there's a bit where he talks, it's probably in the same chapter, because I don't think he talks about the Chekhov very much, but he says he's seen a clip about, um, I think it's Peter Sellers as a policeman called Constable Plinge or something like that. Does this ring a bell? And, he, and I think the audio of it is on this audio-only track, which is on YouTube, of yeah. which purports to be episode one. Um, but he seems to have seen it, judging by the book. Anyway, um, it's it's worth listening to because it, it sort of slightly works audio-wise on its own because it's basically, it's a very Spike Milligan setup. It's like, um, it's a policeman who needs to arrest someone, so he's looking for an unemployed criminal and he finds Valentine Dial. Oh, I've been. Oh, yeah. oh, look at him, he's lovely, isn't he? Oh, where'd you get the schmutters from? Here, I can see him standing in the dock with the sweater breaking out on his noble bra as the beat puts the black cap on. Black cap? Black cap? But look here, I'm not a murderer, I'm a forger. What? Oh, mate, I'm sorry. I don't want to forger. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not only a forger. I, I have uh, committed other crimes. Uh, for instance, I, I once ran naked round a vicarage. Oh, I don't like people who run naked round. I don't. I'm not a murderer. Look here. I, I need a break. I, I haven't been nicked for nearly a year. And I, I can't live outside much longer. So he then goes. And you, can't, you can't really tell what's going on. But I think Valentine then has to go and murder someone. <laughs> at the end of it, it says, I now pronounce you constable and criminal. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's so Spike. It's so... Yeah. Also, it's... the thing I love about this era, Spike, particularly, is that there's no, I don't know if I said this already, but there's no smut in it particularly because he can't do it. And I think that may have been a slight, not his downfall exactly, but I mean, it, it's hard to take when it's lots of jokes about big breasts after a while. Do you know what I mean? It, that everything else dates a bit better than than his obsession with with um you know with boobs boobs yeah because 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 when you because when it's when everything's fair game when you can talk about pretty much anything okay that you know you, you're not dropping f-bombs in 1975 are you on, no on the bbc although weirdly now you kind of mentioned it that's a bit i don't know if i'm miss if i'm wanting to hear this but just after that i pronounce you constable and criminal um, you hear Spider-Man goes, who was that constable? And it's just the way he says it. 
I don't know if in the back of his mind he's slightly baiting the audience. Who was that cunt Oh, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm sure. <laughs> so obviously we've watched what exists to the best of our abilities of, of a show called mm. Fred. There definitely exists more that we haven't seen that no one has seen for a long time. Exactly, exactly. And um, the, it demands to be, we demand it to be released somehow. Um, but then <clears throat> just very briefly, Son of Fred was the, the follow-up to a show called Fred which followed mm. in the, what, the autumn of 56. And it's more or less the same <clears throat> same sort of thing, although Spike wasn't as involved, I believe. No. And the description of it, which makes me really want to see it, um, it had come to be a bit tired and a bit, a bit repetitive and a bit drawn out. And for some reason, that makes me want to see it even more. Yeah. I love, I love things that are going slightly off the boil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, slightly complete, it's the completest gene in there. I want to see. I want to see Waltz and all. Not just best ofs. Oh yeah, I like to see the. I like. <coughs> I like to see them struggling, don't you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so yeah, so that was it. That was really that was the the goons on TV essentially. Although there was a, a show in '57 with Sellers and and Benteen involved. Last, was, is that the cathode ray one? Is that the one? Yes, it's the cathode ray yes, tube the, show. That's right. That's mm. it. Yeah. Not yeah. Which again sounds like a Python title already. Does not it? It sounds like one of those. Um, because what was it, Gwen, Gwen Dibley's, what were the working titles for Monty Python? Oh, yeah, Gwen Dibley was one of them, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's Owl Stretching Time is the only yes, one I remember. Yes, that's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, but, it, look, I thoroughly enjoyed, because it was over the, the weekend, I was watching what, what exists and I was making notes, I was doing research, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. It is, and, it's fascinating, it's so fascinating. The fact it's so long ago and so... It's like you're peering through the murk into into almost into a Victorian madhouse. It's, it's so, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's so pure, unadulterated madness of Spike, and and it's visual as well. It's not you'd think for something that was just supposedly the Goon Show on telly, you'd think it would be them standing around making silly jokes. But no, it's he's playing with the medium right from the beginning. He's doing visual gags which no one had done before. I mean, not on telly certainly. It's more cue than it is yes. the goons, isn't it, really? It, it is. And I I mean, we'll never know, but I almost prefer it to Q because it's, well, partly because it's got sellers in it, for one thing. Mm. But, but also because it, it has got this sort of, you know, this, this innocence about it and this sort of dawning of what you can do. And yep. he, hasn't, he hasn't become set in his ways in any sense at all at this point. No, no. And he's not that involved in it. I mean, the, the episodes we've seen, I should say, Spike is in it, but he's not that much in it. But weirdly, weirdly, it's because for something which supposedly stars Peter Sellers, it's almost more Valentine Dial than Sellers in it, almost. Yeah, um, well, it's funny because there's a, and I, I want to give thanks to uh, Andrew Crowther, who first uh, alerted me to an article that appeared in uh, Truth um, mm. in May 56, written by Bernard Levin, of all people. Oh, yeah. And um, and he's he's a fan of a show called Fred, and it's oh, like it's, it's like a, an article. He goes to uh, ASL, he meets Spike and Peter and the rest of them, and I think he goes to the actual set to the studios. And there's a really nice piece, and um, it is available um, if you pay Coin of Realm. I think there's a certain website you can uh, you can access things like this. But I just want to quickly read a bit from this. He says, um, "Sure." He says, Peter Sellers told me afterwards that he and Spike Milligan could not understand the mentality of so many members of their profession 
whose first thought was to count the number of lines in their own parts and then think of a way to increase the number. They have drilled their art for art's sake attitude into their colleagues in a remarkably short space of time. This must be one of the happiest teams in show business. That's okay. amazing. Yeah, which, which essentially, yeah, it's like you say, Valentine Dial's got more screen time yeah. than Milligan. Um, it's, not, it's nice to hear you, you didn't tend to think of Milligan and Sellers and think happy. No. <laughs> so that's nice to hear. The thing that also strikes me is that it's... it's because Sellers wasn't known for his generosity, but you're quite right. You, you, it's almost like Sellers doesn't care if something's funny or not. It's just he, he's doing it because that's what's happening at the moment, and that's yes. what makes it. That's one of the things that makes him very modern, I think. And that he's not he's not mugging. He's not being a vaudeville variety artist, sort of punching through the the, the um, you know the the funny lines. He's just sort of he's just saying it like like it's occurring to him. Which yes, is what act, acting is really obviously. So, totally, um, he's not. He's not trying to thrust himself forward as the star, and he's he? not trying to be funny. He just is funny, and it's, mm. it's an incredible. You know, I mean, he's. We all know his great film performances, but even there, I mean, I love Doctor Strangelove, and I think particularly him as the president. Yeah, and uh, is such a brilliant performance because it's so unstate, understated. But he's doing it on a weekly basis for for you know for. for Three men and a dog, basically, probably at the time. <laughs> yeah, just, just, and it's it's probably part of his his madness, but he's, he's sort of doing it because it's it's his own mania, it's his own monomania as to what is funny for him at that particular time. Yeah, which yeah, which makes which makes him timeless, but also probably make made him a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, indeed. But um, but Jeremy, listen, thank you so much for for bringing this along today to talk about as they say my my absolute pleasure is there anything that you want to plug is there anything coming up that you want to mention i'm going to bed you can plug that all right <laughs> uh night shirt or pajamas pajamas of course of course okay okay <laughs> anyway no it's been great it's been really fantastic I've, you've made me um you've really big i mean because i think i've listened to all the goon shows at least three times and the last time I was a few years ago but now it's the time I started again especially with all these compendiums thanks to Jeremy uh, please if you haven't heard all the shows so far please go back and listen to those they're all available in all the usual podcast places um, I'll be back next time next week with um, another guest another show until then take it easy see you soon bye <laughs>